Welcome back to Coriam, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gilberti. And I'm Breed C. So Bree, we've been seeing some pretty bad traumas lately over the past few weeks. So I thought we should get a refresher on neck trauma and specifically blunt neck trauma. Yeah, I feel like whenever I see neck trauma, I think, which zone is it? Then, no, wait, we don't we don't like to do the zones anymore. Yeah, penetrating neck trauma gets all of the attention. Swami did a great Coriam podcast last July on this topic. There's a lot of overlap in terms of managing the different types of neck trauma in general, but a few nuances to be aware of. Totally. Okay, so let's dive right in. So by blunt neck trauma, we're talking about injuries via three general mechanisms. One, MVCs. Two, strangulation. And three, direct blows. In MVCs, the neck can rotate, extend, flex, you name it. Strangulation includes hanging, choking, or clothesline injuries where the neck strikes a taut line. And direct blows involve assault, sports, and falls. And remember that these patients can decompensate more so due to loss of airway than from hemorrhage, whereas vascular injuries tend to be the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in penetrating neck trauma. The exception is strangulation, where complications are more due to vascular obstruction than from neck vessel occlusion. Interesting. Okay, so we know the ATLS tenants of the ABCs. Want to run us through the basics, Brian? Sure. So there are a lot. For airway, have a low threshold to control the airway and always assume that it may be a difficult one. With blunt neck trauma, it's hard to tell what kind of anatomy you're getting into. Watch out for any signs of airway distress, including strider, hoarseness, dysphonia, and dyspnea. And more ominous signs include AMS, neurologic changes, or pulmonary edema. And of course, unstable vital signs. Now, for breathing, the usual trauma survey is key. Listen for bilateral breath sounds and remember to use your trusty ultrasound to assess for pneumothorax or hemothorax. For circulation, make sure that you don't miss open wounds or other injuries because you're solely focused on the neck trauma. Look for GSWs, stab wounds, etc. and obviously get IV access. And finally, for disability, after examining the neck, looking for wounds or hematomas, listening for thrills or bruises, place to see collar on patients with neurologic deficits, altered mental status, blunt trauma, or polytrauma. C-spine injuries are more common with blunt neck trauma than with penetrating trauma. And finally, stop and address any issues with the ABCDs as you find problems. Okay, that's pretty straightforward for the ABCDs. How to actually control the airway in blunt neck trauma could fill up hours and hours of airtime. So we're not going to dive into that today. But remember to respect the fact that it will likely be very challenging in blunt neck trauma. So after airway, we're then looking for specific signs of the four categories of blunt neck trauma. Vascular, laryngotracheal, pharyngeoesophageal, and cervical spine injuries. A lot of signs, symptoms, and diagnostics overlap, but certain clues can help you narrow your plan. Yeah, so for example, someone who is HD stable, neurologically intact, with only sub-Q emphysema on exam is more likely to have a pharyngoesophageal injury versus a vascular injury. So if you have to decide between a CTA and esophagram, consider the latter. Exactly. Conversely, though, remember that concurrent injuries are always possible, so don't anchor too early. Yeah, don't lose focus by just considering the neck. Perform a thorough exam and history and consider concomitant injuries like stab wounds, GSWs, ingestions, and the like. So why don't we cover the first three, vascular, laryngotracheal, and pharyngeoesophageal, in the context of blunt neck trauma, then leave cervical spine injuries, since Swami did a great show on these in February 2016. Sounds like a plan. And remember, you can always listen to previous podcasts on Coriam. All this is searchable on our site, and we are developing quite an archive, with this being our 173rd episode. What? Wow. Okay, so first, vascular blunt trauma. 
The internal, external, and common carotid arteries, as well as the vertebral arteries, are those that run through the neck. So, pretty important. We care because the mortality rate is around 60% for those with symptomatic blunt cerebral vascular injuries. Morbidity occurs due to intimal dissections, thrombosis, pseudoaneurysms, fistulas, and straight-up transections. Yeah, this is all scary stuff. Pretty much any trauma to the neck can cause vascular injuries. Strangulation, seatbelt injuries, chiropractic manipulation, and sudden hyperextension and lateral rotation. You know what's even scarier, Brian? Many patients are asymptomatic on presentation and don't develop focal neurological deficits for days. That's an excellent point, and it's terrifying. Thankfully, there are a few specific screening criteria which can help you detect blunt cerebrovascular injury, both signs and symptoms, as well as high-energy mechanisms. Check out our show notes for a nice table from Tintin Alley's on this. Right. So, for example, someone in a high-speed MVC with no neurological deficits... Right. Not yet. Well, yeah, right. No neural findings yet, but with upper rib fractures and a mandibular fracture, take a pause and think about vascular neck injuries. And remember, Horner syndrome with neck trauma is never good. If you see meiosis, ptosis, and anhydrosis, think carotid artery disruption. Right, because the thoracic sympathetic chain wraps around the carotid artery. So if we're concerned about possible vascular injury, go for the gold standard, multi-detector four-vessel CT angiography. This is 97% specific for vascular injury, and it can also help you image the aerodigestive tract and spine. True, but keep in mind that it's less than 80% sensitive for vascular injury. So if you're really, really suspicious, follow the MDCTA with digital subtraction angiography. The reason we don't usually go straight to DSA is because it's invasive, expensive, resource intensive, and requires a high contrast load. Yeah, exactly. So CTA first, then consider DSA. How are we treating these vascular injuries, Brie? Basically, it's going to be antithrombotics plus or minus surgical repair for most. You hopefully have your trauma and vascular surgeons as well as neurology and neurosurgery on board. The BCVI, so blunt cerebral vascular injury, grading scale categorizes vascular injuries into five grades, from least severe to most severe. Grade one, which is a luminal irregularity or dissection with less than 25% narrowing, is the only one that's going to be treated with antithrombotics alone. Grades two through four are going to be antithrombotics plus surgery accessible. Right, so grades 2 through 4 include dissection, pseudoaneurysm, and occlusion in that order. And grade 5, unsurprisingly, involves a transection with free extrav. Yeah, so that grade 5 is going to require surgery for sure, with balloon embolization or occlusion if possible. It's the only one that doesn't get antithrombotics. And this goes without saying, but all patients with neck trauma resulting in cerebrovascular injury require admission. Okay, got it. Let's move on to pharyngeoesophageal blunt neck injuries. We're talking about hematomas and perforations of, you guessed it, the pharynx and esophagus. So these are rare, but they can occur with a sudden acceleration or deceleration of a hyperextended neck. The esophagus will be forced against the spine, leading to the damage. This is yet another scary one because patients may not show themselves immediately. Sure. So dysphagia, adenophagia, hematemesis, and sub-Q emphysema will raise your suspicion for pharyngoesophageal injury, but neurologic deficits or infectious symptoms might not be present until later. Right. So in patients in whom you are really concerned for a pharynx or esophagus injury, the combination of contrast esophagography plus a scope has a sensitivity of close to 100%. You may not necessarily go straight to this, though. Perhaps the, let's say, the chest x-ray in the trauma bay shows pneumomediastinum or hydrothorax, or the MDCTA you got because you thought there'd be a vascular injury shows some retropharyngeal air. These suggest perforation, but in order to really confirm, you'd probably have to go to the scope plus esophagram. 
So you'll talk to radiology about the sophogram and then either GI or ENT, depending on your shop, about the scope. Okay, so that makes sense for diagnosis. In terms of treatment, all pharyngoesophageal injuries must get IV antibiotics for anaerobic coverage. Given the anatomic connection to the mediastinum, you want to prevent mediastinitis, which can decompensate quickly. NG tubes should only be placed under endoscopic guidance, and these injuries may require surgical repair depending on severity. Hopefully at this point, you've got your consultants on board, or if you're practicing in a rural setting, someone from your team has been able to start the transfer process if your patient is stable enough. Perforations in the esophagus or pharynx greater than 2 centimeters usually require surgical repair. Yeah, these patients are likely going to need the SICU for close monitoring. So remember, pharyngoesophageal injuries are rare, but they're commonly missed. So keep them on the differential with your blunt neck trauma patients. Great. So we've covered vascular and pharyngoesophageal injuries, and we're holding off on C-spine injuries. Last but not least, let's talk briefly about laryngotracheal injuries. Sounds like a plan. So we're talking about hyoid fractures, thyroid and cricoid cartilage damage, cricotracheal separation, vocal cord disruption, and tracheal hematomas or transections. Right. So if your airway was already tricky, throw in one of these airway injuries and you've got a hot mess. These patients are also often asymptomatic at first, then develop airway edema or hematomas, which can make your mess even hotter. So I'm sensing a pattern here. There isn't one size fits all for managing laryngotracheal injuries. But if you're intubating orotracheally, use a tube that's one size smaller due to the likelihood of airway edema. Great tip. You'll also want to have a double setup for these. Actually, honestly, for all neck trauma with a crite kit at the ready. To avoid collapsing airway structures, you might even consider an awake intubation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk diagnostics. For laryngotracheal injuries, most will be detected with CT angiography. Contrast will help identify vascular disruptions in these patients. The definitive diagnostic tool, however, is flexible fiber optic laryngoscopy, which should be able to assess airway patency and the extent of intraluminal injury. How are we treating these patients, Bree? Well, like the vascular injuries, there's a classification system, again, from grades 1 through 5, that can help guide management. Check out the show notes for a table with Schaefer and Brown's classification system. So, the more severe grades, grades 3, 4, and 5, require the OR, whereas grades 1 and 2 may be managed conservatively with just IV antibiotics, steroids, and observation. And much like our vascular and pharyngoesophageal trauma, we want our consultants on board early because these patients need multidisciplinary care. Yeah, for sure. For all of these patients, honestly, we've talked about the danger of delayed symptoms in the initially asymptomatic patient. For that reason, have a very low threshold to consider monitoring these patients for serial exams. We're looking for worsening dyspnea, dysphonia, strider, drooling, bruise, or focal neurologic deficits. And don't forget, patients on home anticoagulation, even those without symptoms, need to be monitored for at least six hours from the time of injury to rule out a delayed neck hematoma. Okay, awesome, Brian. Um, want to take us home with some wrap-up points? Sure, Brie. So, ABCs. Airway, airway, airway. It's important, and it may be a difficult one. For blunt neck trauma, there are four categories of injury. Cervical spine, vascular injury, pharyngotracheal, and laryngoesophageal injuries. For vascular injuries, go for the CT angiogram. They're treated with antithrombotics and surgery. For pharyngoesophageal injuries, contrast esophagram plus esophagoscopy are almost definitive, but you'll likely start off with just an esophagram first. Treatment includes IV antibiotics and may require operative management. For laryngotracheal injuries, a CT angiogram can work again, and you might add flex laryngoscopy. These are treated with IV antibiotics, steroids, and also may require surgery. And a super important takeaway point here, patients with serious blunt neck trauma may be completely asymptomatic initially. Neurologic deficits, 
bleeding, and other manifestations might not happen for hours, if not days. So be extra careful with those patients with concerning mechanisms and don't treat any blunt neck trauma lightly. Wow, great. That's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Brian Bryan, signing off. <laughs>